you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. And right now on Fast, your money on the edge. All the major indexes falling today. The Dow down nearly 900 points, plus 2,600 points in just four sessions. The S&P 500 closing in a bear market. And tech stocks hit even harder with the Nasdaq now losing nearly one-third of its value just this year. The Federal Reserve now signaling it could raise rates on Wednesday by three-fourths of a percent, one of the biggest one-meeting moves we have ever seen. Crypto collapsing even more. Bitcoin down 19%. Ether down 25%. It lost a quarter of its value in just one day. Coinbase, MicroStrategy, and Square all getting crushed with it. And it is not just the financial markets. Rising rates, a real risk to real estate and the value of your home. Since the start of the year, the rate on a 30-year mortgage, it has doubled. Good evening, everybody. I think I'm Brian Sullivan in for Melissa Lee tonight. And this is Fast Money, as always, right here live from the NASDAQ market site. And on your desk tonight, a much-needed team. Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Pete Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. And we begin with that massive market sell-off on Wall Street. The S&P 500 plunging nearly 4%. It is down 22% off its all-time high mm-hmm. in January. That puts the index in its first official bear market, minus 20% from a high since the pandemic lows. The Dow dropping 600-plus points for the third straight day. It is the first time it's done that ever. The Nasdaq now down more than 33% from its record. In the meantime, let's take a look at what may be driving this, and that is actually the bond market. Ten-year yield spiking above 3.3%, the highest level in 11 years. It jumped 25 basis points, or a quarter of 1% today. And for bonds, that is a big move. In fact, the biggest since March of 20. 20, the two-year also rising to its highest level since 2007, trading slightly above the 10-year in the last few minutes. All this is markets and investors prep for this week's big Fed meeting, where chances of an even more aggressive central bank are rising by the day. Guy Adami, were you watching the stock market more, or were you watching the bond market and rates more? Bond market. I mean, without question. I heard Pete talk last week about this. It's all predicated on the bond market, and people get tired of listening to me say this, but I'll say it hopefully for the final time. I mean, the fact that the bond market is as volatile as it is here in the United States, largest economy on the planet, is that it's comical. I mean, one of the mandates of these, uh, the Fed, I, I was going to say something else, but I'll say the Federal Reserve is stable prices. Well, the bond market's been anything but stable for the last 18 months, and specifically for the last couple of weeks, it's, it, it is almost comical. It's a joke. I'll say this. The only panic I've seen over the last couple of months has been to the upside. These huge days on the upside. I thought today, at least late, that last leg lower felt like a little panic to me. And in my world, that's actually sort of a, an encouraging sign. Yeah, Tim, I don't want to get too wonky to start the show with the stock market pain, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the bond market. In fact, some treasury bonds trading below repo rates overnight. There seems to be some weird stuff that's happening 
in the credit markets. And that's got it. It's got to be hitting stocks. Well, you can't have these types of move in the bond markets, especially where you have extremely levered players. And, and it, you know, this move in rates. And again, we're talking about 150 basis points on the two year note. Uh, but we're back 14 and a half years to yeah, a 2007 handle on the last time you saw short rates this low. I don't think people expected this type of move. And you talk about some of the dynamics, especially what's going on in the mortgage market, especially when the Fed was buying MBS. And I, I think Diana Olick's going to be on our show. And we're going to talk about mortgage markets because the impact here is part of where I think the Fed needs to, to exist. I, I just, you know, the comical part about this is Guy re- used that term is really about where monetary policy was. And I know it's easy to say that in hindsight. Um, the reality on a day like today after Friday's CPI and PPI around the corner is that we all have this view. Inflation is not only not transitory, but that, in fact, this is the kind of the thing that Paul Volcker had to squash in the 80s and that they may have to move a lot more aggressively. That's what the market's doing today. That's what the bond market did today. Right. So we talked about bonds. We talked about stocks. You got to talk about currencies, too. Look at the dollar making mm. new 20 year highs. And, and we got to go back to just a couple weeks ago when Microsoft had that warning about their fiscal Q4. They're warning about the strength of the dollar and how that's going to hurt their profit margins. And at the time, and we've been saying it since then, while it wasn't a huge miss, it wasn't a huge guide down. This is something that a lot of U.S. multinationals are going to be faced with, which also just basically helps make the case why we think the fact that earnings estimates for the S&P 500, which as a couple weeks ago, were still expected to be up 10 percent, are likely to be up maybe low to mid single digits. And also just on currency, on just well, on currency, on, on energy, we're going to get the energy, you know, on yep. all of these sorts of. And then if we're talking about demand destruction, right, then lower sales. And just to put a little framework on this, Nostradami over there who's sitting there in New Jersey, he's been calling for 3750 <laughs> in the S&P 500. And I want to be really clear about this because he's not going to do it himself. He's been saying that the S&P in this environment should probably trade about 17 times. You put 5% year-over-year EPS. Where are we now? Well, it would be, it's a little above that. Okay, so so my point is, he was thinking... 5% 5% earnings growth year over year for this year. That gets you about $220. You multiply that down 17. You can do that math. That gets you to 37.50. I mean, that was his number. And, you know, that's why I think, you know, you got to put some frameworks around some of the stuff you're thinking about. Are we likely to overshoot to the downside? Maybe. Now, and, you know, Pete Nigerian, again, going into the credit markets because this guy, Adami, Nostradami, will say they are sort of the bigger market. And there's all this wonky stuff that's happening with sort of repo rates and overnight. Let me ask you a direct question, which maybe you know doesn't go into the weeds of the bond market. Do you believe there is okay. currently or the risk of a real liquidity issue in parts of the bond market? And that's bleeding into equities as well? It's a really great question, Brian, and I think that that probably is the case. I mean, and I would say this, this is what would defend that, my my saying that, is the fact that look at the velocity of this move. In the last two weeks, we have watched what's gone on with the two-year and the 10-year. The two-year was 258, and it's got all the way up to 3.3. And then the same thing with the 10-year. It was 2.78. Now it's over 3.3. So when you see that kind of move, that tells you a lot. And it tells you a lot about, about what's going on in the bond market and that scramble that we're seeing. On top of that, how about the fact that just a week ago, the volatility index was 24. Today, it's 34. Matter of fact, the VXN, the volatility for the NASDAQ, that was down there at 34. Now it's over 40. It's 41. 
So it gives you an idea of how fast these things are happening, and I always use that word velocity. It's the velocity of these moves, Brian, that I think has people so confused, and that's why we're seeing palms out as frequently as we are. In other words, people are just saying, you know what, I don't get it, I'm selling. And that's exactly what we've seen for the last three or four trading sessions. That's why I think the size of these trades has become so big is velocity is causing this whole thing. And, And that's the reason that we're bringing this stuff up at the top of the show because we want to explain to our audience, many of whom may be new to these markets, just casual observer to understand that with stocks and bonds, it's not just one thing. It is a complex series of events that can happen and things that you don't expect to happen can. Let's talk about the Fed, Guy Adami, and expectations. Does the Fed, will the Fed, go three quarters of 1%, also known as 75 basis points, on Wednesday, or will that make them look like they're panicking? Well, I, I'm not quite certain. I mean, <laughs> at this point, I'm not, they have a, do they have a credibility problem? Absolutely. Did they do it to themselves? Absolutely. Did they paint themselves in a corner when they said 75 wasn't on the table a couple of weeks ago? Absolutely. Will they move 75? They better, because if they're as data-dependent as they say they are, it absolutely warrants 75, if not more. So we'll see what happens. To your point, though, stocks are nice and interesting. I get it. Stocks go up and stocks go down. The real concern that we have voiced on this show literally for months has been in the form of credit. We've pointed out that credit has not been a problem yet. But keep a close eye on the HYG, which is now officially rolled over. And this doesn't move at all. But when it does move, it typically is the precursor of something sort of um, nefarious, not nefarious, something sort of um, ill in the stock market. And that's what we're seeing now. That, that HYG has come off precipitously, and that's what we've been watching. Yep. That's what I will continue to watch. If that stabilizes, that's probably a good thing. And the HYG, for people that aren't familiar with it, Tim, is a, is a major ETF that is comprised, I think, of a couple of hundred of different, mostly lower credit quality, high yield, high yield bonds outside of the pandemic dip in 2020, because that was an exogenous shock. We haven't seen an HYG at this level since the financial crisis. No, and, and we've, we've paraded some of the smartest guys in, in, in credit have come onto this show even in the last couple of months and have talked about how corporate balance sheets are, are, are never better, that the consumer's uh, employed and, and has uh, put in a fair amount of savings and paid down debt too. But, you know, the dynamic, first of all, look at, look at spreads. Look at high-yield spreads. Folks at home, you can actually look this up, option-adjusted high-yield spreads, and you can see we're back up near 5%. Essentially, we're back up through uh, where those areas were around even the lows of the pandemic. And so uh, when we were in 2018 and we were talking about growth dynamics and we were talking about the Fed that was actually moving too quickly, even though in hindsight, it looks like they probably should have done and given us the bad medicine. That was a case where all we did was talk about credit. Slower growth will lead to the credit discussion, Brian. And I think it's smart to bring it up tonight. But right now, it really is about what we're willing to pay for stocks. And I would go back to, again, some of the biggest companies in the world that haven't really warned on demand. And I get back to an Apple. Apple was an $80 stock pre-pandemic. How many Amazon's already back to pre-pandemic levels? How many stocks have gone back to pre-pandemic? It almost seems like that's the exercise you have to well, go you, to. You said the t- biggest company in the world is trading at 134 bucks or something like that, uh, 131, I guess, in the aftermarket. But the dynamic is that there's a lot still, I think, to equilibrium. Yeah, and, you, and you said the other night when I was here on the desk the other night, you said that Apple needed to go to 125. Right. 
I mean, it's headed there. No, I, I, I think I, I, at this point, I don't think that's a question. I, I just uh, the, the question is, we haven't heard from these companies, Dan, that their that their business is any different other than FX and right. supply chain right. and even some China stuff. I, I, we have to hear more than that. Yeah, And we will. And I guess the point is, you know, we got very used to in a very accommodative market since the financial crisis that the Fed was in a very different position. Yeah, there were rate hike, hiking cycles and we know what they did in 18. And we know that when they came off ZERP and they ended QE in 13 and 14, we know what happened. But generally, the Fed had this mechanism where they could kind of speak to uh, equity investors and people bought the dip. And that's what happened for over 10 years. What's different this time is that, A, they're not doing that. And the other thing I'll just say is with all of these risk assets that we just talked about kind of going out of whack and maybe not usually like playing by the same uh, correlations that some of us have become accustomed to over the last 25 years, it's not going to be bottom this time. So when you're thinking about where to buy Apple, you don't have to buy it the day it goes to Tim's 125. You might buy a little of it. My point is, is that this is going to take some time. If you've been in the markets, the stock market in particular, the way I have since the late 90s, we have had protracted bear markets. And you could say large parts of the equity market have been in a protracted bear market since the start of 2021. But what we've been saying on this desk for all of this year is until the NASDAQ, until the S&P joins the party, it's not over. And my targets down 30 percent in the S&P 500, that would bring you back to the February 2020 pre-pandemic high and down 40% in the NASDAQ 100, which is also back towards the February 2020 high. And those are where things start to look really interesting. 32.54 is your Fibonacci folks out there, uh, but that's your 38% retracement. And that's a level that people are looking at. Today, by the way, the 161st worst day for the S&P 500, according to S&P itself. All right, your next guest sees the market turmoil created exacerbated, of course, by 1980s type rate hikes. Tony Dwyer is Canaccord Genuity's chief market strategist. And I guess, Tony, welcome. Today, the, the big question for our audience, maybe the only question, at least right now, is was today the big flush, kind of the big capitulation? And I know we won't know until later, but I want to go through this list and get your take. According to Jones Trading, they have kind of like the aspects of what they see as a washout trade. And there are some there. OK, so volume, volume more than 20 to 1 on the downside of the NYSE. Even recent winners like energy stocks getting hit hard. In other words, breath was horrendous for much of the day. All 100 NASDAQ stocks were down. Only one, by the way, closing higher. Investor fear surging. To Pete's point, the VIX up 25%, although not taking out its February highs. So, in other words, Tony, some signs of that big capitulation, some getting there, some not yet. Was today the bottom? Was today a bottom? And, and that really is the question. I think to, to follow up on what Dan said, I think you, you get signs that you're at a bottom. And over the course of the last few months, and we've talked about it on the show, what differentiates a bottom versus the bottom. So let me answer the question first. Today, represent, today according to our data, was the third consecutive day where 85% of the volume on the NYSE was to the downside. That happened over since 2009. That happened on the initial low in 2015. You had a vicious rally. You retested the low. You went almost all the way back up to the all-time high, and then you cratered at the end of the year. Also in um, 2020, after the turn from the pandemic, I think it was June of 2020, you again had a kind of a vicious counter trend rally after that, and you retested the low. So I think, Brian, the discussion really surrounds the most frequent question I get is, 
you, you know, typically I've been bullish over the years, but there's a money availability problem that we've talked about on the show for the last few times I've been on. Um, and money availability is what defines the bottom. It, when you put all this great academic studies and the stuff we talk about and come up with great formulas and sayings, ultimately you have to have money to buy stuff, to do stuff, and to invest in stuff. And the avenues for money availability have, have largely closed down since the beginning of the year. Yeah, and, and to that point, let's talk about the Fed, Tony, because I know that it's kind of the score. We get obsessed a bit with what they're going to do with rates. But the Federal Reserve is a lot more than just interest rates. It is about buying bonds. It is about selling bonds. It is about providing liquidity. It's about the comments that they make. I know we get all caught up in the headline number. Is there anything outside of a rate hike, which we know we're going to get, that the Fed can say or do that would change things? Because I think you have said this. I know many people on this desk have said this for, for months and maybe longer. You're not going to get probably a market bottom until the Fed turns. Well, the Fed's got a signal to turn. You know, they, in 1994, they raised rates even into early 95, but the market had already turned because they had signaled the end. That's the opposite day here. You know, the real issue here is, you know, I, I think it was uh, Tim mentioned, uh, Tim, Tim or Dan mentioned going back to the Volcker era. And when you had Volcker, it's really important. Debt to GDP in the Volcker era was at a generational low. It had come down from the post-World War II buildup in debt. So debt to GDP wasn't anywhere near the issue it is today. We're at a generational high at 138% of debt to GDP. So if you're going to take a levered economy and shut it down, that's not good. Target is the example. So what we, so in, in summary, what we've done here is we've taken limited money availability, bloated inventories because of the supply chain constraints, cratered. CEO and consumer confidence into a lower demand environment in a levered system. So when you add up, I, I sound like, you know, this is what we talked about, I think, at the end of April when I was on. And Grasso said he never heard me sound so negative because it's all about money availability. Upside in the market, or upside in the economy or upside mm -hmm. in anything has to come with more money. Tony, uh, looks like you're running out of time there. And I don't mean that. There's something just popped up on your screen that said that. Um, so uh, you, you yes. talked about Volcker. It kind of signified the market, to be well, honest I, with I, you. I, I mean, that's exactly where we seem to be. <laughs> and by the way, have you seen Zoom stock? It's because a lot of people are downgrading off the premium plan. Well, be clear. We, we don't want bark, so I'm one for two. We don't want to lose you too soon, Tony. I, I, I want to ask you about some of the positive things for market. All we've done is talk a negative. Sure. Um, positioning is awful. Um, if you look at the professional community, uh, positioning is also very, very conservative. In other words, there's a lot of exposure that's been taken off the table. You've got corporate buybacks almost at a record pace. I mean, at some point, these are factors that say uh, the market actually has priced in a lot of pain. We've priced in probably 90 percent recession at this point. Timmy, I, I got to say, so let's put the numbers to it. The data that I have is when core inflation is above um, 4%, uh, above 4%, market trades at 13 times earnings. When, the, when core PCE is between 3 and 4%, it's 16 times. When core PCE is between 1 and 3, it's 20, uh, 19 and a half to 20. So we're around that. I, I would expect that it, it's 
going to peak and come down by year end. So you'll be in that three to four percent area. So you can do a 16 multiple. Um, and, you know, ultimately it comes down to the east side. I've been below the street all year. You know, I, I love the game that we're in where we raise targets and estimates as it's going up and then do the reverse when it's coming down. I've been at 225 since last year. I'm not I don't see any reason to really change it. The streets at 229, it still has to come down to me. There's to me, I think when you look at some of the data that's coming out in housing and kids, you know, we hear a lot of times that we're gonna avoid recession because the consumer balance sheet, household balance sheet, and the corporate balance sheet are in great shape. Somebody better tell the University of Michigan consumer sentiment survey, which has never been in its history worse, or the CEO confidence survey coming from the conference board. So um, a recession seems increasingly likely, and the numbers still have yet to reflect that. I think it's a good point, Tony, and these are all incredibly important points that you have been making. Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity, uh, and maybe just get out of the way of this moving train. That is a market for now. Tony, we'll we'll see you soon. Brian, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's really important that, you know, a bottom versus the bottom. You've had 83 days in a row of 85% downside. Well said. We'll see what, and we never know until we look back in history. Tony Dwyer, thank you very much. You know, Pete, can you help square that? Because I think what Tony and everybody's making is a really important point for our audience. I was down your neck of the woods this weekend in Sarasota. Flights were packed, airports packed, hotels packed, restaurants packed. And yet we're talking about economy slowing down. We're talking about consumers going out. But what you see with your own eyes and what these numbers are saying, they do not link up at all. (laughs) No, you're exactly right. They certainly don't. But I think, Brian, I think the real case is, are these people that are going on their one opportunity to go travel, matter of fact, go to Florida or whatever it is, are they going to be able to do that again? Probably not. We all know how expensive gasoline is as far as driving around as well. People are willing to make that trip, but those are sacrifices that takes money away from other parts. So, yes, that looks really great when we see as busy as they are, but there are other elements that go into it. They can't spend over here because they've already spent over there. Yeah, I'll just mention this. So Tony made a great point about a bottom versus the bottom. Think about the March Fed meeting. It was very well telegraphed. They were going to raise by 25 basis points. It was going to be the first raise in a long time. The stock market had sold off from its highs in January. It was already very volatile, down about 13%. On the day before that Fed Massive meeting, rally. huge rally. And yeah. to the end of that month, it was also the end of the quarter. Might not be too different than what we could see right now. Because, again, if they but were But that would be a supply, rally in a bear market. Sounds like Dan's a buyer. Well, no, what, what I'm saying is, is like, I, you, listen, you guys know me. I, I <laughs> I hate most markets. Um, I don't press lows like this. That, that's just no way to make any good money. So if you're trading, and Pete knows this as it comes to options, you if you're making a defined risk bet using puts or put spreads or something, you're buying when vols here where the VIX is where it is, and you get the opposite move, you get creamed. And the same thing going for shorting stocks in this environment. So it's just not a great price. And that's that's an important point. So I know we got to go to break, but just very quickly, Dan, to button that up, what you're saying to the audience, I think, is Don't get super defensive here either because we could have a bear market rally, which then if you're overly short, you're overly negative. It's going to rip your face off in the other direction. this thing's going to take time to bottom out, you're going to have opportunities to trim things on balances. Don't trim things on days like today. All right, on deck. Much more on this market collapse. Are there any safe havens right now, or do you just kind of stay out of the way? We'll have a strategy session coming up. Also, a little good news, maybe at least for one stock. Look at that. Oracle popping 11% after hours. Their earnings, obviously the market like them, kind of Tim's point. Not everything is negative. The conference call is underway. We'll get details of the quarter coming up next. And throughout June, we're celebrating Pride Month. Here's CNBC's Senior Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, our friend Ryan Ruggiero. 
The most important thing that I want people to know about the LGBTQ community is that we are everywhere. We are CEOs, CFOs, actors, doctors, lawyers, football players, and we are journalists. We are also so appreciative of the many LGBTQ trailblazers and allies that continue to help create change in our community. We are not going anywhere, and we will continue to stand united in the face of injustice until we are all treated equally under the law. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Look at that. We have got an earnings alert for you on Oracle shares. They're up 11%. Solid earnings, solid revenue. Conference call underway. Christina Partsinevelis listening into that call and bringing us some of those headlines. Christina, the market obviously likes it. Yeah, What's and, sticking out? and likes it even more so now that this call is going underway. Oracle's push into the cloud appears to be paying off. Q4 revenue is largely driven by cloud apps like uh, NetSuite and Fusion. But there's a lot of news on the call right now. First, you've got currency headwinds. This past quarter were 5%, considerably higher than the 2 to 3% that we had last quarter. And so if these currency exchange rates continue or pretty much stay flat, currency should have a 3 to 4% negative impact on total fiscal 2023 revenue. Also, I want to point out Oracle just completed its almost $28 billion acquisition of electronic medical records provider Cerner. So the CEO said on the call they've added about a little bit shy of $16 billion of debt, but that they anticipate to retain their investment grade credit rating. Their current focus, though, will be about reducing that debt level while maintaining share repurchases. And they don't believe it'll impact dividends for those wondering investors. And lastly, you've got guidance that they anticipate for their cloud business which actually grew 22% this past fiscal year, and they anticipate it'll grow more than 30% in 2023. And another guidance line they told uh, on the call just now, Q1 revenue, including Cerner, so that's that medical company, to increase between 17 and 19%. Once this news came out on the call, you could see the stock climb even higher, so uh, almost above 11%, Brian. All right, Christina, thank you very much. Monitoring that. Guy Dami, I mean, this kind of goes to our point that Tim made and others made earlier. These numbers are pretty good. Revenue, the outlook pretty good, even Mm -hmm. with the stronger dollar. I mean, some of the things we're hearing from companies just not sinking with the overall markets. Oracle made the pivot. I mean, IBM should take a page out of the Oracle playbook because, listen, Oracle was floundering for a long time and they started to pivot when they needed to. And the cloud growth is pretty extraordinary in this environment. Now, with that said, obviously, earnings are backward looking. We'll see what happens with some customer demand. I'll say this, valuation, you can make still, despite this move, a pretty compelling case for an Oracle, which will probably have, I don't know, 11% or so EPS growth. 
that's not a bad thing with that valuation, with a company that's seemingly in the right businesses right now. So I like Oracle. I'm somewhat hesitant on this move, given the backdrop of what's going on. But I still think it's a stock you can own. And the business mix is, is really important here. And again, they traded a discount to their peer group. But again, the cloud apps and then also some strategic hardware and 70 percent of their revenue stream are renewable or recurring revenue streams. They should be rewarded for that in this environment. But, you know, it is uh, yesterday's earnings are not necessarily tomorrow's yeah. outlook. Well, right now, the stock up 11 percent. Investors hoping that maybe Oracle does see the future. A little bit. I see what you did there. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Crypto catastrophe. Bitcoin crashing to its lowest level since December 2020. Have we reached a bottom here? Our Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, says not so fast. And later, housing gets hammered. With mortgage rates surging and home sales slowing, are these stocks on sale here? We'll bring you a realty check ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. As tough of a day as it was for stocks. Wow, look at crypto. It got crushed. Bitcoin and Ethereum, all down double digits. In fact, the crypto space, the losses coming as Celsius. Crypto lending company paused withdrawals for customers. That sparked fears of wider liquidity issues in the space. And at one point, Ether was down 25% today. Brian Kelly joining us now for more on the big move. Laura, Brian, uh, what still has to happen for crypto to be considered to hit some kind of a bottom? Because then let's be clear and be fair. Crypto has done this before. This is not the first rodeo. No, absolutely. I've I've been saying it for years. Crypto is the riskiest thing you can do with your money. It is the most volatile asset out there. And so you need to size your positions appropriately. That being said, what do we need for a bottom here? We need this leverage to be washed out of the system. So what's happened in crypto over the last year or so is you have a lot of leverage built up, assets pledged against other assets, not too dissimilar to what happened to Wall Street during the 2008-2000 or 2008 crisis. And so you have a daisy chain of collateral that needs to be unwound. We're getting close to that. I don't think we're there yet, but we are getting closer to that. What about these firms, BK? Celsius, we're looking at companies 
that one day they're operating, the next minute they're sending emails to their thousands or more clients saying, sorry, you can't take your money out. I mean, this is 2008 type stuff in the crypto world. Let's be clear about that. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think, again, what investors need to know, these are not banks. This, this is not secured loans. There, there's no insurance on these things. Um, and so when you are sending money to any one of these platforms, your counterparty is that company. Um, and so while you, it might look like you're getting very high yields, you're getting a high yield for a reason, because there's risk. Bitcoin solves a lot of things. It doesn't solve human fear and greed, and it certainly doesn't solve the idea of high risk uh, for high return. Those, those immutable laws of finance don't uh, continue to exist uh, with Bitcoin. Maybe even exacerbated with Bitcoin, BK. Is that fair to say? I mean, even the hype and the fear may be greater than even other asset classes that we have seen go through this. I mean, perhaps, I mean, the, diff- the huge difference is Bitcoin doesn't have a central bank to ride to the rescue and print a bunch more money to buy yeah. it. So, yeah, you know, in that sense, will it be yeah. more volatile? Likely, sure. It just has more vocal acolytes, maybe in some respects, BK. Pete, it's not just crypto. I want to get your take on the cryptos itself. Maybe if you're a buyer, what have you. Look at Coinbase Global, right. ticker coin. This was a $350 stock in November. It is a $50 stock. Now, this is, I don't, it's not a bank, but this is maybe the biggest name in crypto, and it's getting crushed. It is, and, and that's exactly where I was going, Brian. I mean, you really, we were on a, a zone there together because 368 actually was the high, and today we got to 46, and then we actually finished the day a little over 50, I think, or closer to 52. When you look at their balance sheet, that looks pretty good. When you look at their free cash flow, that looks pretty good. You look at short interest, you can also see a lot of people that have had a lot of success, Brian, because about 13% of the outstanding shares are short. So this is a stock that, as you were pointing out, 350s, actually 368, all the way down to where it is right now. That's the name that I'm looking at and watching. So when we do start to see any kind of a turn in the crypto world, I think that's one of the names that what I would look first, at. What goes first, the cryptos or I the crypto when, stocks? Is it Coinbase or, crypt, or Bitcoin? That is the, what's the I, leading I, indicator? I'd flip it. <laughs> I You're think you'd have to follow Bitcoin. Bitcoin, and that would lead you into, into it itself. Absolutely. You, you, as BK said, you can do a lot of things with Bitcoin, but you, you can't flip it. It's a digital wallet. <laughs> Guys, thank you. All right. <laughs> Coming up, more red flags from Tesla. We're going to give you the trade ahead. But first, the market's in a tailspin. Where can you seek a little safety, your protection playbook, right after this break? Stick around. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Today's market plunge taking a major chunk out of the corporate bond market. Things we've talked about a lot on this program, HYG, LQD, big ETFs, both selling off. And one options trader is betting there is more pain to come. Mike Co. joining us now with the details. Mike, what is at least one options trader thinking about these very widely watched and very important junk bond ETFs? 
Yeah, so uh, actually we're taking a look at LQD, which is the uh, investment grade bond ETF, uh, HYG being the high yield or junk bond ETF. Uh, importantly, I would say that about half of the constituents of LQD are, you know, trip B or just below. So we're looking at the lowest uh, tranches of investment grade debt in there. We saw 10 times the average daily put volume, and that was the result of a big trade in the October 95-85 put spread. Uh, in total, over 138,000 of those traded for about 50 cents. Uh, there was definitely an institutional trader participating because we saw two blocks of 72,000 and 62,000, respectively. And to put things in perspective, if uh, LQD gets down to that lower strike, that's a decline of about 20%, a little bit more, actually, from today's uh, closing price. And this is already down uh, better than 20% from the highs that we saw last August. All right, Mike Coe. Mike, thank you very much. All right, for more options action, as always, be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, a housing horror story? Maybe, maybe not. Rates skyrocketing as home sales start to slip. Losses continue. Diana Olick is up next. Plus, Tesla shares stalling out. We're going to tell you what Elon reportedly told employees and may have also hit that stock as well. A lot to do. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. We've got a news alert on the Federal Reserve. Steve Lee's been joining us down the fast line with more. Steve. Brian, thanks very much. Uh, I just want to say my reporting at this point is that a 75 basis point rate hike to be announced at the uh, second day of the uh, meeting this week on Wednesday is very likely a real distinct possibility. Um, I think uh, things have changed for the Federal Reserve. The CPI coming in hotter than expected. University of Michigan inflation expectations, consumer expectations in the New York Fed. Um, I know that uh, Powell said that uh, the, the committee back in May was not actively considering it, but he also said that they were looking at the economy, and I think the economy has changed to the point. And my reporting is such that at this point, um, I'd be dialing in a 75 if I were a betting man at this point, not a 50. Would that quickly, Steve, great reporting, would that quickly then, would that take away from future meetings as well? Would this be pulling forward or would it be a layering on, getting more aggressive? You know, I think that's a great question, Brian. I think that what we're learning is that six weeks is a very long time between meetings and that things can change. I think what Powell was looking for when he said that, um, you know, 50 was on the table, that's we were going to do 50s. He was looking at the, for the PCE to flatten out. Mm-hmm. It did not do that. The CPI did not flatten out. So I would say, uh, uh, Brian, and I think I said this at the very beginning of this process, we are not in a period of forward guidance here. We're in a period of meeting by meeting, and the Fed uh, is looking at things in the way they're developing and evolving, and I think there's been uh, likely a, a pretty market change in sentiment away from 50 towards 75. And to answer your question directly, I think it could mean they do more rather than less. Certainly, for sure, that means they'll do more and more quickly. Whether or not it ultimately means, means, means more is hard to tell. It's going to be meeting by meeting until we get a flattening, Brian, uh, in that uh, inflation numbers, in those consumer expectations, I would think the yeah. Fed would be continue to be aggressive. All right. Steve Leesman with some breaking news there. Steve, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Guy Adami, I, I see it kind of shaking your head on the monitor here. Is it going to matter? I mean, is it already priced in? Will the market be shocked? Well, at the top of the show, we talked about it, and we talked about credibility and all those things. And I, what I said was, if they're as data-dependent as they suggest they are, they should do 75, so I guess good for them. Um, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today, so 
I give him that. I mean, I don't have much more to say on the Federal Reserve, who, you know, back of the envelope, my math is probably still about three years behind the curve. I think something else the Fed has to be signaling here is that that, that last payroll number also is something that concerns them. They, they, they are signaling they need higher unemployment. Um, and I think you know that's not great news for Main Street, but that's that's exactly where the Fed has to be right now. The job market is way too tight. I would throw in that that payroll number and the wages component of that, which is very sticky, as a bigger part, at least, of where the Fed is at. Right but it now. just feels like Dan, the Fed was accelerating. Use a car analogy that has got the foot on the gas pedal, and all of a sudden now they just want to slam on the brakes, and it's not going to work. Well, I mean, to the point, I, I think that we're starting to see, like, the signs that unemployment is going to become an issue. It's going to start ticking up a little bit here. And so I guess if they can kind of push it all along a little bit and then start to signal, like Tony just mentioned, if, if, if the market understands where they're going in the next three to six months, they might be able to start signaling beyond that. And then the stock market may take a pause. Credit markets Does the Fed know kinda... where it's going in three well, to six of months? Of course they don't. I, I mean, but, but... So how's the market going to know if the Fed does anything? Well, the market will start discounting it. I mean, that, that's the point. And we were just talking about that in March. It's like once it became very apparent they were going to do 25 and then 50 and then 50, then the market could rally 10%. And the market was much higher then. So, I mean, this is kind of the way this stuff works. Nobody knows, right? It feels like, a little bit. But, I agree. It feels a little bit like, Pete, the market is nervous. The market is confused. The market's scared. What else are they going to do, right? Just sell. Seriously. Just sell and let them figure it out. And then we'll come back later when you've got to figure it out. Well, you know, to, to the point that Guy started off with, though, I think it really is about being data dependent, right? They bring that up all the time. And the most recent data, the data we just got from Friday, is telling us something. And it's telling us a lot about where we are right now. So the fact that they would move maybe from 50 to 75, I don't think that crushes the market. I think, may, matter of fact, that it might be embraced. It might be something pretty interesting to watch. But... You know, time will tell. I think when we look at these numbers and we continue to go and we say about meeting to meeting to meeting, I think we really are in that world. I don't think the Fed is saying, you know what, four meetings out, we're going to probably do this. They're not doing that. They're giving us as much guidance as they can. But he always leans back on, hey, look, this is data dependent. And that's what we're looking at. I feel like we're acting like the 10 years at 10 percent, not 3.3. Well, look at the move in the Back two in the year Volcker today. day, 14 percent. I mean, the, the, the two-year price. The last price time in, we were here in this environment. Yeah, the, the bond market did it today. Well, so, I mean, so that, that we, doesn't, we, matter. We it doesn't matter whether it's 2 or 10. It matters what the Fed's balance sheet is. So back then, the Fed's oh, balance sheet, well, what I'm saying is it's $9 trillion. And that's really important. So the rate of change of rates based on sovereign balance yeah. sheets is really the thing that's very important. Ever think about the fact that the Federal Reserve, which is like seven or eight unelected officials, runs a balance sheet that is twice the size? Guy, have you ever thought of that? Of the, the annual fund. budget? Think about it all the time. The We've actually talked <laughs> yeah. about it. I mean, the that, annual listen, budget, they're um, twice the yeah, size, it, guy, no. of the annual budget you of the United just, States. You, Seven or nine <laughs> unelected officials, and nobody would recognize they ran into them in Wegmans. I'm not taking the bait. Come on, guy. I'm giving you bait. It's red meat. No? I'm not. I'm not, I'm not I won't do it. Well, I'll way, say this. You know, these unelected, right. these unelected officials put on the biggest prop trade in the history of mankind. Um, it's easy to put on a big trade. It's really hard to get out of one, and now they're finding it out. He took, he took a little bit of it. Took a little bit. Red meat. That man's hard to right. Short break. We're back. We're talking about rates and housing next. Took a little bit.
All right, welcome back. The rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage surging. In some cases, above 6% today. It was just at 3% to start the year. For more on what this could mean for the housing market, let's bring in Diana Olick with more. Diana, it's a big move. Huge move today, Brian. That's the first time we've seen a six handle on the 30-year fix since 2008. The average rate jumped 33 basis points just today to 6.13%. That, according to Mortgage News Daily, a note from its COO, Matt Graham, who said it was very hard to calculate today in his lender survey because he said lender quotes will range from 5.625 with big upfront costs or so-called points to 6.375% with no points. Some lenders want to keep that five in there. So we started this year at around three and a quarter. Now we're over six. And that means the monthly payment on a $400,000 home went from around $1,400 at the beginning of this year to $1,945, just six months. That's for a loan with 20% down. It's no wonder the home building ETF, ticker symbol ITB, is just getting hammered. This includes both big builder names as well as some of the home improvement companies like Home Depot, Lowe's, and Sherwin-Williams. But who's really getting hit is lenders. Mortgage application volume is literally half of what it was a year ago. So names like Rocket, Loan Depot, and United Wholesale Mortgage, they're just getting crushed, Brian. All right, Diana Olick, it's a big story. Thank you very much. Pete and Jerry, and your take on housing, housing stocks, the economy, this is a bigger deal than the stock market, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it, it is pretty incredible. And I think I, I was listening to Diana earlier in the day when she talked about just the, the speed of the U-turn. We talk about velocity and all these other things. This is exactly what's affected right away. I mean, it's, it, when we talk about the two-year, the 10-year, and we see these moves, that is affecting things just in an absolutely monstrous way. And it is Home Depot. It's Lowe's. It's those names, as well as Dr. Horton and some of those builders as well. It slows things down to an absolute screeching halt. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now in just one month. Things have absolutely changed from being red hot to being ice cold blue. And it's it's just amazing, Brian. And I, and I don't know, necessarily see that turning around anytime soon. I tell you what, you know, she talked about Home Depot. Pete's referencing the places that, that look like they're under a lot of pressure. I, you know, at 17 times forward at, two, like at 250 on Home Depot, you're all the way back to pre-pandemic. I realize that's 10 percent from here. But the yeah. dynamic is if you can't buy a house, you're going to you're going to spend some money on the one you're in. I think there are people that do have money. People are not destitute. They have jobs. At some point, Home Depot is absurdly interesting. And I think you need to have your levels on companies like this that are right in the fabric of this country. Ivy Zellman says that 91 percent of mortgages are under five percent. Hard to move. All right, up next, your final trades. Final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Pete, kick it off. Those investment grade corporate bonds, that LQD ETF that Mike was talking about, I like those puts as well. When they buy $135,000, i am going to follow along. Okay, OKD puts, Kaidami. Kroger into earnings. Inflation actually works for KR. Tim? Didn't get to energy tonight. Schlumberger uh, talked about this one for a while. I, I just think the energy subsidies and the dynamics around gas uh, are going to keep demand there structurally. Oil went up today and the stocks didn't. Yep. Damn. Yeah, so Elon Musk in the last few weeks has said that he's, he's got a really bad feeling about the economy and that this quarter is going to be really tough for the company and he's selling the rallies. A lot of people listen. It's down 7% today. All right, everybody, thank you very much. I'll be back one more night tomorrow night. Thanks for watching Fast. Big Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Have a great night.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.